Isn't that a fantastic? Our greatest need is our greatest challenge. Boy, that's super true. Like, the thing that we need the most, I would say not just in our local church, upstate church, but I'm talking about Christians in America, you could say globally. Our greatest need is our greatest challenge. If we would come together as one the way that we're going to read in Ephesians 4, man, God would do some amazing things. But here's the problem. We're surrounded by division. We're surrounded by aggression, contention, even people we like a lot, we disagree with all the time, it seems like. And those disagreements kind of rise to the top, and it's easy to allow sometimes those peripheral issues, those secondary issues to become primary. It's easy to make those front page news. It's easy to make those the headlines rather than uh, you know, stuff that is less important. So, so with all that in mind, here's the thing. With five campuses, 11 separate services, four different worship styles, and any number of generations, you could, I mean, just anything you could imagine from a generational perspective, it's a super challenging thing to keep our church unified. Two weeks ago, we had in the middle, again, coming out of this global pandemic, uh, we had 2,300 worshipers live on one of our five campuses. That's amazing in the midst of all of this. So God is obviously doing some really amazing things. But here's the thing. We want to be proactive, recognizing that the future call of God on our church is actually going to be more challenging than the past. What's ahead of us is not going to be easier. It's going to be more difficult. And so if that's the case, we better be proactive in making sure that we maintain the unity that we've enjoyed. Because we know this, the more the culture, the more we're exposed to and influenced by the culture, the more tempting it will be to allow the disunity of the outside world to spill over into the unity of the body of Christ. And so look with me. Turn in, turn on your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. If you're tuning in at home, I would encourage you, even though I know it's on the screen, go ahead and get your copy of God's Word, something special, obviously, about following along and reading it. It is provided on the screens, obviously, especially if you're a guest today. We will make sure that everyone's able to read the Word because, look, the pastor's words are secondary. What does God have to say? What is God telling us through the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 4. And let's look at verse 1. Here's what it says to begin with. Therefore, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There's one body, one Spirit, just as you're called to one hope, that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all or of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Man, that's an awful lot in seven verses and an awful lot of one, right? You can see why we, we've got the theme for the next three weeks and, and really subsequently the, the next two years, this idea, this this uh, agenda, if you will, of unity, bringing people together. It is the heart of God for his people. 
And so as we read through here, we'll start off in verse 1. And anytime you see the word therefore, I'm sure you've heard this before, you should ask the question, what's it there for? All right? And so the word therefore in chapter 4, verse 1, begs the question, what, what is it? What is it answering, you know? And so chapters 1 through 3 are super doctrinal. So when you're looking at the book of Ephesians, this is a letter to the church at Ephesus. Paul is writing and he's laying out some doctrinal foundations for the church. Then he shifts gears into chapter 4 and he says, Therefore, because of all this stuff I've shared with you about the foundations of your faith, therefore this is what it should produce. And so in other words, the... The, uh, the proclamation should produce practice. The belief should produce behavior. And so it's not just enough to verbally say, I believe, or hey, verbally, I support unity. I'm for it. Yeah, okay? So it's good to say that, but a proclamation should be followed up with practice. Our beliefs must be followed up with behavior change. And so we see it in, in chapter 4, it represents this transition from belief to behavior. And so when we see this word or this term walking worthy in verse 1, it, it brings this idea of balance. In, in other words, if you think about a scale that weighs things and the traditional scale that actually has two sides, right? We should have a balanced Christian life. Our beliefs should translate into behavior. You should say it this way. Look, your behavior should be just as weighty as your beliefs. It's one thing to say we believe something, but it's quite another to actually allow it to change our lives. And so what's that have to do with unity? Everything. Because it's one thing to say, well, I believe the word of God, or I, I want to follow Jesus, or I want to be a person of faith. I want to I I mean, live for Jesus. That's great declarations. That's wonderful proclamations. But what is the practice that flows out of that? You can't say you want to live for Jesus and then act like the devil. <laughs> Y'all all right? You can, but that's an imbalance. That's the whole point, Right? And so there's a lot of people. Look, it's not just you could, you could, uh, you could definitely say, well, that, you know what, I, I, I know that these, these young guys, I'll tell you what, this new generation, they're the ones that, you know, they say one thing, they do another. But you know what, the fact of the matter is it's every generation. And here's the reason we know that for sure. I mean, hypocrites uh, are really come in every generation. And, uh, I mean, even 2,000 years ago, they were called Pharisees. All right? And so read, read the New Testament and you'll see there's a whole lot of people who were religious. They were religious people and they were following what they thought was the book, the right thing. But at the same time, in the midst of that, they become self-righteous. They became legalistic. And so it's very possible for us to have the right beliefs but have the wrong behavior. To say the right thing but say it the wrong way. To actually believe in Jesus and the cross but somehow push people away and be very divisive and critical in the process. And so we don't want to be those kind of people. So this whole heart of one is reminding us, and it's going to be a two-year reminder, every time we see the word one, let's remember, we need to act like Jesus. We don't just need to be people who say we love Jesus. Let's live like we love uh, Jesus. Let's love other people like we love Jesus. Here's the bottom line. A Christian's practice should weigh as much as his profession. A Christian's practice should weigh as much as his profession. But then in verse 2, Paul gives us a list of three qualities of Christians. Uh, basically, a Christian's balanced equilibrium. So if we're going to be balanced, 
How are we going to know we're balanced? These three qualities right there in verse 2 are humility, gentleness, and patience. Humility, gentleness, and patience. Now, if I were to take a poll in America and ask everybody, not just Christians, but if I were to ask everybody in America, give me three qualities of people that you know who say they're Christians, I bet they would not give you humility, gentleness, and patience, right? I mean, I don't know if I were to ask you, you know, would you give me three qualities of people that you know who call themselves Christians? It might be right the opposite. And this is the terrible, tragic reality that we find ourselves in. We say one thing and we do another. God forbid. And so we want to be people who are real. We want to be authentic and humble people who who embrace this idea, these characteristics of people who follow Jesus together as one. It starts with humility, gentleness, and patience. Verse 3 goes on to step further. In the absence of these three qualities, here's what Paul's whole point is. Unity is in jeopardy. If you don't have humility, gentleness, and patience in the church among God's people, then unity is in jeopardy. So why does it matter? Why does it matter that we be unified? Why should we even care about becoming one? Well, I think the easiest answer is because Jesus cares about it. Why should we care about it? Because Jesus cares about it. Before his crucifixion, in John chapter 17, verse 11, Jesus prayed for his followers, and here's what he said. He said, Father, keep them in your name that they may be one even as we are one. And so Jesus, talking to the Father, said, Lord, will you let them be unified even as much as we are unified? But then Jesus goes on in John 13, 35, and listen to what he says in John 13, 35. He said, by this, talking to his disciples, all people will know that you're my disciples. This is how people are going to know you're followers of mine if you have love for one another. (laughs) And so, again, if we were to poll the world and say, hey, hey, if, if... if being, uh, you know, publicly displaying love for other b- believers is a testimony of people who follow Jesus, is that church full of people who love Jesus? That's a tough question because, honestly, in our day, it's not just lost people who are fighting lost people. It's not just unbelievers who are fighting believers. It is even among godly people who love Jesus. Men, they're hurting each other. They're harming each other. And it's why we, have, we see church splits. And it's why we see unhealthy situations. Is simply because people have not allowed their beliefs to translate to behavior. They, they've, they've said, oh, as long as we believe the right thing, it's okay. But look, we've got to embrace this idea of remembering that if we have a true foundation of our faith that's built on the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, it's going to change the way that we act. So Jesus cares about unity. We should care about unity. But then secondly, it's just a practical issue. You've heard it said in the videos, and you've heard Steve say it already. When the church is unified, the mission is maximized. If, if I, as, as a leader desire for God's work to be done. Like if I just practically, let's just, this spiritual argument aside, if I just practically want our church to be effective in its mission, then we need to get together on the mission. 
We need everybody working together. That just is common sense. We need traditional people working with modern people. We need modern people working with Blended. We need downtown working with Five Forks, working with Anderson. We need Harrison Bridge working with Malden. Why? Because we are one. And if we want to be effective at the mission God's called us to, we've got to cross campuses and recognize that we are one body of believers who are going to live and love out loud in the name of Jesus, especially holding each other accountable for the next two years to be one with all of our might. And so we want to see this and fleshed out in two different ways. If we are focusing on unity, where do we start? Well, Paul kind of points out in verse 1, this first point, and it's actually on, on page 24. If you want to look in your book and follow and kind of take notes as you're going, I know a lot of you have your app, and that's cool. Just go ahead and keep taking notes on your app if you'd like to do that. Uh, but if you have the book, page 24 is where the sermon notes uh, give you an opportunity to do sermon notes today. And here's the first point. We are, you are united in calling. We are united in calling. No matter what campus you attend, if you're at home today or traveling, Man, we're one church. We are united in this calling. Now, what exactly does Paul mean when he says calling? Well, first and foremost, he's talking about salvation. So we've been called by the Lord through the Holy Spirit, the gospel. We've been called to salvation. And I know, I know we've talked about this so many times, and, and maybe you're new, so this will be a first time. But, but these churchy words, these doctrinal words, justification and sanctification, super important. So when we come to Christ in salvation, we're justified. So this is like when we're born again. So you hear people say stuff like that, and you're like, what's that mean? When you're born again, I mean, think about it like when you were born, all right? You're born, you're a baby, but you grow, hopefully, right? I mean, you grow. You, you eat, and you grow. <laughs> and, and, then, and then eventually you, you walk, eventually you drive, and eventually you move out, amen? Right? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's, that's the progression of things. So when you're saved, you're talking about salvation, you're justified, you're born again, you grow. The growth is called sanctification. So it's, it's you are saved and you're being saved. And so this whole idea of we're called, what is our calling? We're saved. But it's not just you're, you're called to be justified, you're called to grow up. We're not called to be baby Christians. What causes division in churches? Why do people dressed up in suits and ties even, look in the part, act like the devil? Because they're a bunch of babies sometimes. But then sometimes, just so we understand, you, you, could, you could not, it's not like suit and tie's bad, all right? But you could, you could totally go to church every Sunday, lift your hands in worship, be like, man, let's go, praise the Lord. And, and you could look the part, but you could live like the devil, and not, not give your life really to Jesus. So what's that about? It says you're not, you're, you're not following the calling to which you've been called. Because God didn't call you just to get a free pass to heaven. That's justification for sure. But he called you to surrender your life to him. And to grow in faith. To, to stop being a spiritual baby. And to grow up. And so this is what it means to follow Jesus. It's a pretty hard saying, but it gets, it gets tougher as we go. Uh, but here's the deal. We've got to remember, our call to believe is never absent from a call to behave. We've got to believe and to behave the way that God has called us to behave. And so this is why it, it reveals so much 
about Christians, especially when we see churches that are hurting, churches that are dying, churches that are divided. They desperately need unity, but they don't know where to find it. Where do we find it? We find it ultimately in the heart of the gospel. And so our, our culture has conditioned us to constantly resist and repel calls to commitment. And that's why times like this, when we hear, oh, there's a three-week series on, on like committing ourselves to one. Oh, so I, might, I might check out for a couple weeks. Let me encourage you. Man, step into what God wants you to do. You know, open up. Ask God to speak to you. And ask the Lord to take control and to show you where it is and what it is you need to be committed to in regards to his church. The call of Christ requires you embrace a lifestyle of commitment. It's what it means to follow Jesus. So we are united in calling, but then secondly, we're united in belief. Now again, we talked about belief translates into behavior, but, but what do we mean about belief? It's not just enough to pray a prayer and to get dunked in a pool, all right? That, that definitely is a process of obedience and faith. We follow the Lord in baptism. But this, this is bigger than just praying a prayer. It's bigger than just an acknowledgement that Jesus is the Son of God. There's, there's a lot to this gospel. And I think we see that in verses 4 through 6. Look there, it says in verse 4, there is one body. Notice how many times the word one is, is used. There's one body and one spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And so we see, man, this is, this is powerful uh, Paul's driving home the point that the foundation of our unity is the gospel itself. The foundation of our unity is the gospel. We, we have one body, one spirit. Even in here, he uses the, um, the Trinity. He talks about one spirit, one Lord, one Father. So in all of this, he's reiterating the example of our unity is the Trinity. The example of our unity is, is the Godhead. Itself, And so, so with this in mind, we understand, man, the, the foundation that brings us all together is Jesus. In this room and online and on our campuses, this goes without saying common sense, but let me just reiterate it probably more than you even possibly could imagine. We have a wide variety of opinions on every subject. I promise you. 2,300 folks attended one of the campuses two weeks ago. I bet you we had 2,500 opinions, all right? I'm just telling you, that's the way, that's the way Baptists are. We all, we disagree with each other. We disagree with ourselves sometimes, all right? So how in the world, that's, in a lot of ways, that's just the human condition right now, too. Everybody is, man, the culture's so volatile. Everything, the political tensions have spilt over and everything. You want to debate about masks, debate about vaccinations, debate about you know, whatever, you know, Clemson, South Carolina, whatever. I don't, you know, who, who knows? I'm not even going to tell you who I'm pulling for later. When this is the last game of the year, but it's, it's going to be, that's going to be a great game. I'm excited about that this year. Anyway, <clears throat> I got sidetracked. Here's the thing. In the midst of all that, it's easy for us to allow the culture to spill over into our hearts and our lives and allow our spirit to become defensive, to allow our spirit to become confrontational. To allow our posture to become uh, aggressive. And see, this is totally contrary to the things of God. God. God legitimately has called us to be humble, gentle, and patient. This is, this is the equation for unity in the church. 
But when we allow the culture to drive us, when we allow our emotions to be fired up by the fuel of aggression, then we're not going to be pleasing to God. We're not going to be accomplishing the mission of God. Why? Because we are not unified in the Spirit. It's a simple truth, but one we desperately need. You may say, well, is there a problem? And I would say, no, we're being very proactive. We're going to prevent problems from coming because even though there's been so much change, I mean, legitimately, we launched two campuses in the last six months. That's crazy. That is crazy. But here's the thing. I feel like what God has done and a lot of times has been in spite of our plans and expectations, and I'm convinced that what he is planning to do is not even on our radar yet. If we will yield to him, Listen, if we'll just honestly, if we'll get shaken and awakened, God is going to use us in greater ways than we can imagine. But it won't happen if we don't become one. It won't happen if we don't do everything we can to pull together while we can in the midst of a divided, aggressive, torn up world. There should be a unified light shining in the upstate of South Carolina. So in the midst of discouragement, depression, in the midst of pain and hurt, there is a people who love each other. In the midst of hatred, in the midst of so much fighting, there's, man, what's up with those people? I mean, certainly they don't agree on everything. No, but what brings them together? Jesus. Jesus brings us together. And so with all of that, here it would, it's so easy to, to understand, but so difficult to implement in our lives. The major repeated theme throughout this passage, verses 4 through 6, is one, over and over, seven times. Seven times it's used in three verses. And so we, we see the heart of God in this passage is very much, there's only one choice, right? There's only one choice. If you want to be unified, here's the foundation of your unity, You can't go two directions, opposite directions, and and end up at the same destination. You cannot go to Charlotte and and at the same time go to Atlanta. You just can't do it. No way. You have to choose which way are you going to go. This became um, more uh, obvious to me in the last week or so than ever before. I I don't know if you're uh, aware, if you're new, uh, you've never heard me say this. I am a professional dieter. All right, I'm a professional. I have lost at least 1,100 pounds in my adult life over time, not all at one time. Um, I've lost it, and I've gained 1,105, but I have lost 1,100, and so I'm I'm confident. I'm an expert in this field, but recently we decided, and by we, I mean Amy, we decided (laughs) to try something new, and uh, we're switching from Weight Watchers to Keto, all right, from Weight Watchers to Keto. Uh, keto diets, for those who aren't as, you know, versed in this uh, field, uh, keto deals with carbohydrates and Weight Watchers deals with calories. And so it's like a calories versus carbohydrates conversation. And to make this even more relevant, basically what this means is if you're on Weight Watchers, you cannot have bacon. <laughs> this, is what I'm, this is what it boils down to, all right? Because bacon, everything's better with bacon. Amen? I'm just serious. You could put bacon on a hot dog. Sign me up. You know what I'm saying? Bacon on grass. Okay. Stick, whatever. Just bacon. I'll do it. So bacon. So Weight Watchers, I've been on Weight Watchers 18 years. (laughs) 
straight up. And so I've been eating turkey bacon for 18 years. You know what turkey bacon is? Cardboard. That's what turkey bacon is. So when she said, keto lets you eat bacon, hallelujah. Finally, a Jesus-inspired diet. Yes. But here's what I found out. You can, have, you can have bacon on keto, but you know what you can't have? Chips and salsa. Big problem for me. Because, listen, I believe Mexican is legitimately another food group. Seriously. I just think that's true. I, a chips and salsa is a daily part of my activity. I just think that's part of it. So it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big problem. Keto, we're trying this thing out. I'm a few days in. I have avoided chips and salsa. So far, I need your prayers. Seriously. I need you. I need you, but here's the deal. Somebody told me after the first service, said, man, what you do is you get that bacon real crispy, and you dip bacon in salsa. I'm like, I'm going to try that. I'm seriously going to try that, all right? But anyway, so here's the deal. I, I've, I've come up with this idea. A few days ago, I said, I'm going to beat the system. I'm going to be double committed to dieting, and I'm going to, I think I'm a big enough man. I need two diets, Right? So I'm going to be in Weight Watchers and Keto at the same time. And I have it. I can eat bacon and chips and salsa. What you talking about? Yes. And I'm, I've got a name for it. I call it Happy Life. Amen. <laughs> so that's where I'm going with this. All right. Now, obviously, I'm joking. Uh, Amy would not let me do that. So here, here's, here's what is obvious about that. You can't go both ways. You, you, can't, you can't just say you're you're going to be counting calories and, and then really count carbohydrates. That, I can't get into it, but the science proves it. All right? You can't do both. It's either one or the other if you want to lose weight. And so here, here's the, the truth of the matter. In the same way, there is one body. There is one spirit. There is one hope. Period. There is one Lord. One Lord. Not multiple options. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and there is only one God. No matter how many other people have how many ever opinions in our neighborhoods, in our region, in our country, in our world, our opinions do not change reality. There is one true God, and he has provided a way for every single person in this world to come to faith in him. So here's the thing. Are we going to behave in a way that demonstrates what we believe? Or are we going to believe one thing and do another? See, that's, that's absurd. That's ludicrous. It's illogical. How could we possibly think that way? But that is the case for most Christians in the United States of America. We're so conflicted. We're so confused. And we don't understand what to do. We are united in calling. We are united in belief. But the question then remains... How do we maintain the unity that Paul speaks of? I'm going to give you three things real quick. If you want to jot them down or type them down, here they are. First one's super common sense. Listen, unity requires community. Unity requires community. You can say all day long, oh, we're unified. We're unified. But you know what? You, you can't be unified if you're standing alone. So unity requires community. Secondly, we've got to submit to God. We actually have to submit to God and make this our agenda. Look at verse 3. Here's what verse 3 says. It speaks of this like holy ambition. He says we should be eager to maintain 
Unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Eager. What's your agenda in the faith? What are you pushing for? Well, Paul is saying to the church at Ephesus, and now today he's speaking to us, you should be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. You should love the body of Christ. Man, you should do everything you can to keep this church together, to love the, the men and women of every campus, of every service, to just brag on them, to love them, to encourage them. When you see people coming out of the traditional service, even though they worship so differently than you, man, you should love them and care for them. I have a 78-year-old dad, and then one of my boys is 18. I always remember Zach is 30 years younger than me. My dad's 30 years older than me. And it's an easy example to just say, you know what? We see things differently. We look through three different lenses. We can look at the same truth and, and believe it together. But our behavior is a little different because it's sometimes we, we kind of are approaching it differently. We might have a different preference. But here's the thing. We come together. And I would never publicly shame or blame or harm my dad or my son. Why? Because I love them. I love them. And so the opposite is true. If I am willing to publicly shame, blame, or harm another brother or sister in Christ, it is simply because I am not demonstrating the fact that I say I am in, in truth believing and that is that I love them. And so we are one. We are one family. And we should come together without question, eagerly maintaining the unity of the spirit, the bond of peace. Look at verse 7, because here's the third thing. He basically says you have no excuse. You have no excuse. Grace was given to each one of you according to the gift of Christ. So what is, what is the gift of Christ? Well, it talks about the many different parts of the body coming together and being used by God in an effective way. But here's the thing. Even how, do we, how can we be eagerly maintaining the unity of the Spirit? I would say only by the grace of God. Surrounded by aggression, surrounded by fighting, surrounded by anger, surrounded by all the influences of the outside world, the only way a church is going to make much of Jesus and stand together locked arm in arm in the midst of this terrible storm we call the United States of America or the human existence in general in the world, the only way we're going to do it is by the grace of God. So these three weeks, I'm going to challenge you to resist the temptation to throw up your defenses. I'm going to ask you to lean in and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. There are many things we do not know in this world. I mean, we, we, we don't know a lot of things, a lot of question marks. But this is something we cannot debate. Jesus wants his church to be one. Lord, we love you. God, I thank you for this group of folks, your church. God, I know this, that uh, in this room today and, and even our brothers and sisters watching online, God, they're good, godly folks, man. They love you. But Lord, sometimes we get so distracted and it's so easy for us to get sidetracked I pray today that you would help just drive home in our hearts and our minds that our passion should be this eagerness, this great desire within us to see you glorified in our unity. Lord, would you, would you build that unity in our midst? God, we pray. Bless our church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?